0: Louisville, Kentucky. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming out. I see some merch. I always like to point it out. I see some friends of the pod. Thank you guys for being here tonight. We have a great show for you. Now, as you know, now look, we're gonna have a we have a fantastic panel. But before we get to our panel, love it or leave it, it's a funny show, all right. But it's also a place where we battle it out on ideas, all right. We talk about the future of the Democratic Party. We have a big governor's race coming up in the state of of California, and so I'm very excited about our guest tonight. Now we're gonna talk to a lot of the candidates, but I'm so excited that we have uh, the former mayor of Los Angeles, Antonio Villaraigosa, here to talk to us. Uh, about why he's running for governor. So let me bring up the mayor. Mayor, thank you for being here. Please sit down. Mr. Mayor, thank you for coming. Antonio, oh, that feels cool. That feels right. Um, Thank you for being here.
1: Like my mother used to say, Tonito.
0: Okay, that feels like one step too far for me. That feels a little too intimate for me. Maybe we'll get there. You didn't finish your tequila. Uh, I did not. I did. Um, well, good, 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 good. <laughs> That's good. We'll be very loose. Uh, so you're running for governor. Uh, we have, we're in the middle of a big conversation amongst Democrats about the future of the party. We're in the wilderness. Uh, we just went through this grueling loss. And I don't want to look backwards, but I do think it's important that we understand the lessons of 2016. You're somebody that has been a longtime supporter of Hillary Clinton as I was. What did you learn from 2016?
1: And a longtime supporter of Barack Obama uh, as well. Um, I think what we learned is we lost our way. Our party has always been a party that fights for working people, for the poor, that addresses uh, uh, an economy when it's not working for most of us. and. I think we spent too much time talking about Trump, uh, thinking about Trump, um, and not enough time talking about what we were going to do. You know, I was, uh, I grew up in the civil rights movement. I started out at 15 years old and it, with the farm worker boycott. And I remember in college telling my mom that she didn't understand working people. And she told me, you know, son, at some point people want to know what you're for, not just what you're against. You're good at marching. You're good at picketing. But people want to see you build something. And I think our party has to build something again. We've got to fight for working people. We've got to fight for the notion that too many young people can't afford college. Uh, they get a degree and they, they're not making it. They're working at Starbucks. Uh, we've got a shared economy that doesn't share. Too many people, uh, you know, who used to work 80 hours as a taxi driver, now working as Uber $30,000 uh, instead of $100,000. No health care. Uh, no pension, where are we going? So I think our party has to start going somewhere, forward, upward, for more people.
0: Now, obviously, California is, in many ways, a bulwark against what the Trump administration is doing. I mean, one of the ways that we can move forward is by making sure that this administration doesn't succeed, whether it's from immigration reform to blocking uh, criminal justice reform to what we're seeing now on the health care bill. You've been pretty outspoken against Trump. But at the same time, if you were to be governor, you have this balance of being a bulwark, being critical, trying to move the state forward, while at the same time being reliant on the federal government for uh, for revenue, for funding. How do you strike that balance? What do you think the governor's job is there?
1: Governor's job is to mark a different path. You know, look, uh, we're not going to tweet our way out of what we see from Washington. I
0: don't know that that's true. Uh, I, I, I've not, been doing a lot of tweeting, we're, and it we're, helps. We're,
1: we're not, we're, we're not going to scream our way out. I, I think the best way to fight Trump is, is to make our economy work for more people here in California. You know, we have the sixth largest economy in the world. We have more poverty than virtually every state in the country. Uh, we are a, a state, frankly, that has... A lot of great things going for it, and a lot of things that we have to ask ourselves how we can do it better. So I think the next governor's got to stand up, for sure, on health care. Health is a right, not a privilege. Everybody ought to have it. Uh, we got to stand up uh, to a $20 billion cut. Uh, We've got to say that our environment, uh, protecting our, our natural resources, our air, our water, is the greatest gift we could give to the next generation, addressing climate change. We're going to stand up for the notion that California is going to lead not just the nation, but the world. On immigration, look, we're the sixth largest economy in the world and we're the most diverse state in the nation, the epicenter of immigrants and the foreign born and the undocumented. But if that's all we do is just stand up and not do more to double down, to train more kids, educate more, you know, 80% graduation rate, 13% of 60% of the kids in this state who are of color, Latino and African American, 13% are going to a four-year college. That is not a quotient, a formula for success. So best thing we could do is double down on what we do here. Don't pay so much attention to the noise, because that's all it is. 75% of the stuff that comes out of his mouth is either a lie or a misrepresentation of fact. Why would we spend
0: so much time responding to it? That's um, true. I want to I drill down on two of those issues: healthcare and education. Healthcare first. So there's this debate going on in California around single payer. Uh, there's this proposal. Um, it's been rejected by. It's been embraced by some people, rejected by others. One issue is that we have this funding problem in California where it has to go to the ballot. Where do you come down on this fight over single payer?
1: Well, I've been for single payer uh, since I was. Well, since I went to the legislature in 1994. I did a bill to expand, after the Clinton administration lost universal health care, I did a bill for universal health care for kids. Expand Medi-Cal to 200% above poverty for poor kids. That's a form of single payer. I didn't have a funding plan. So guess what? I didn't get a vote. Not one vote. Second year, I did it again. Uh, I didn't have a funding plan. I didn't get a vote. The third year, I passed a plan that gave 750,000 kids health care. I got booed by some. But those kids that have health care and their parents, they were happy because now they, they had health care.
0: Booed by Mitch McConnell or he wasn't in the picture? No, well, he, he wasn't in the picture. <laughs> so the
1: point is I'm for, I'm for single payer. I don't know why I'm here. I'm for single payer. <laughs> <laughs> Virtually every Western industrialized country in the world has single payer, which is government-sponsored health care. That's where we're going to go one day. Today's not the day. Not when you need... Waivers from the Trump administration, not when the only real way to make it happen uh, in this state is to have the, the nation go there. So I'm for it, uh, but not right now. Uh, we gotta we gotta focus on a 20 billion dollar cut. We have a 180 billion dollar budget. A 20 billion dollar cut is you do the math, more than 10 percent. It's checks out. It's a big it's a big deal. We we gotta protect the people, the 2.5 million people, I'll bet you a good group of you here who will lose health care if Trump is successful. That's where you start, and then build on that. You know, so I'm for it. Uh, let's start with protecting the 2.5 million who lose it if uh, McConnell and the Senate is successful.
0: And then on education, uh, you famously had a, you tangled with the school board. You had a long-term of conflict with them about the direction of L.A. schools. What did you take away from that fight? What did you learn from it that you would bring to the, to the state? Well, how many of you
1: went to uh, schools here in L.A.? So did I. I went to a high school, uh, it graduated in 1971, that had a 30, uh, 25% graduation rate. By the time I became mayor in 2005, they'd improved. They now had a 35% graduation rate. I said, that's unacceptable. of the kids in this city were graduating when I became mayor. I I took on everybody and challenged them. When I left, it was 72% graduation rate, from 44 to 72, today it's 77. I took on a subset of schools in Watts and East LA where I grew up. So the school, when I became mayor, that had a 36% graduation rate, 35% graduation rate, by the time I became mayor, today, now has an 84% graduation rate. These kids can learn. And I think we have to stand up and fight for them and understand that too many kids who are poor and of color are not making it in the way that we need them to make it if this state's gonna be successful. And so I've stood up for them, and yeah, I've tangled with a lot of people for them. But I've tangled for them because I I really believe that we've gotta set higher standards, we gotta invest more in our schools, we gotta bring arts, back to our schools, arts and music. We gotta stand up for the notion that particularly poor kids who oftentimes are latchkey, need after school programs, and sometimes an extended day. Uh we gotta we gotta focus on success again and understand these kids can learn. And so yeah, I got it on with us. we rocked and rolled and rumbled a little bit. Okay. And I won.
0: You think you won? You won. We're winning. We're winning. We're winning. winning. So one thing I want to talk about before we get to the game, we're going to play a fun game, is, uh, look, we're going to have a primary, and part of the primary is just putting, through, putting people through the paces. Uh, one of the controversies uh, that you've had since you left the mayorship is what you've done post uh, since you were post-mayor. And one of the things that I saw, that I had questions about, was the fact that you worked with a company called Herbalife. Uh, now, Herbalife is an L.A.-based comp- company, but at the same time, they've been accused by a lot of people of being a multi-level marketing scheme, and they had some sleazy practices Uh, And so I I just wanted to get your reaction to that, because, you know, people are going to have questions about it, and that's going to matter in the election.
1: They will. You're right. They were an alley-based company. They are an alley-based company. I brought them downtown. Uh, They're a health and nutrition company. Uh, They've been around for 30 years. Uh, Like, my mother sold Tupperware. My mother sold Avon. Uh, This is what a multiple-level marketing company just like them. You're right. Uh, some people have criticized. Virtually everything you do post whatever you did when you were in office, you get criticized for. Some people made a lot of money while they were mayor and lieutenant governor. A lot of money um, while they were in public office. I walked away, no house, no job, no car. Front page of the uh, of the New York Times. So I put everything I had in being mayor, and then I worked with folks uh, who are... Promoting health and nutrition and small business. Because the reason why people sell Avon and Tupperware and, you know, Herbalife is because they've got to make a few bucks. They've got to make ends meet. And I've stood for that.
0: Okay. I mean, there's been some criticism of these companies, specifically criti- Herbalife, for yeah. taking advantage of people that well, they end up buying a bunch of stuff and they have to
1: offload. $58 it. worth of stuff. Okay. $58 worth of stuff. It's, it's not a whole lot of stuff. Okay. It's $58. All
0: right, we got to the bottom of it. I feel okay good. about it. Good. All right, good. I feel good. I feel great. you good? I'm great. <laughs> um, all right, guys, before we let the mayor go, I wanted to play a game. The game is called Lax Facts. Lax Facts. Lax Facts. LAX Facts. Is there some- <laughs>
1: Not ex-lax, huh?
0: Lax Facts. Listen, we spent a while trying to come up with some kind of a pun that was about true versus fault and la-la-land, lie-lie-land, la-la-lie. Lie, lie. It was a mess, which is why we ended up at Lax Facts, which sucks. But even though the name is not the best and it won't be back, it's going to be a fun game. Would anyone like to play a game called Lax Facts? Uh, Mr. Mayor, Antonio. Antonio what, was yeah. it? what was the, the, the real nickname? The, the even the even more intimate nickname? Donito. Donito. <laughs> nope, nope. Uh, <laughs> uh, beneath your seat, beneath my seat, are cards. You got them? All right, so here's how the game works. Hi, what's your name? Roshana. Roshana. Yes. Hi, Roshana. Hi. Um, so here's the game, all right? The mayor and I have facts in front of us. Okay. Some of them are true, some of them I wrote this afternoon.
2: Okay. okay.
0: Your job is to decide which facts are real and which are made up, okay? And if you get them right, you will get a parachute gift card. That's
3: what I'm here for. <laughs> that's what you're here for.
0: So, Roshana, first of all, that's insulting. Second of all, that's very stupid because it was unlikely that you would have gotten chosen. So it was a bet ba- these tickets were a bad investment for you, okay? Huge fan of Roshana. (laughs) All right. Mr. Mayor Tonito. Nope. (laughs) Still can't do it. Uh, Would you mind kicking us off by reading a fact or made-up fact about Los Angeles to to Roshana?
1: When LA was founded, the city's full name was El Pueblo de Nuestra Señora, Reina de Los Ángeles, sobre sobre el río Poricincula. That translates to the town of Our Lady Queen of the Angels on the Porincincula
0: River. Fact or fiction? Oh, I go now? Okay.
4: Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to do a
0: bunch of them. Okay. Just, just trust me. I, I know fiction. the game. You, you think that's fiction? Yes. It's true. It's true. <laughs> You're O for 1. All right, I'm up with number 2. Roshana, the biggest disappointment we've ever had. <laughs> Are you ready for fact I'm number ready. two? The movie Volcano ends with lava nearly engulfing the Beverly Center. In early test screenings, Los Angelinos booed. One theatergoer said of Tommy Lee Jones' character, a real hero would let the lava take it. As a native Los Angelian that wants the Beverly Center to burn, Do th- I want that to be true. So you're saying that's true? Fiction. Yeah, it's fake. that's okay. yeah, fake. <laughs> to- tonito. Now it feels good. Now I feel like saying it. What was your nickname? Um, everyone just calls me Lovett. Everyone's called me Lovett since I was a little kid. Levitt Jr.? No, just Lovett. Um, there's been occasional... Levito? Lo- you know what? There was a time... So I'll tell you... The- <laughs> no. Mijo? It- nope. Uh, <laughs> sort of a more Jewish thing. So... I will say this. There was a time where I was called j Lo for John Lovett. And then, really? because I was such a liberal, some of my Republicans' friends would call me JLoSi <laughs> <Losey>. for Pelosi. <laughs> but that's the best I can offer, nickname-wise. Okay.
1: <laughs> Not very good. <laughs> um, L.A. is home to the largest boulder ever transported, a 340-ton chunk of granite that took 11 days to move just 85 miles to the home at the Los
0: Angeles County Museum of Art. Fact. That's, that's true, you're right. You say into the mic though. Fact. Correct, you're now two and, two good. for three? Are we two for three? I was there. Two for three, I've stood under that boulder. It's cool as hell. Yeah,
1: I was there when they brought it in. Uh,
0: <laughs> I was the mayor, baby. <laughs> nice. Did you, <laughs> did you play any role in I the final? I actually carried it. That, that's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Like Sisyphus. Yes.
1: Um, oh, geez. Sisyphus. <laughs> Greek you, mythology.
0: You very good. It. You know it.
1: Tons of stars are buried in the Hollywood's forever cemetery.
0: Anybody been there? Yes. Yeah. I've been there. It's a, f- it's a cemetery. What are you cheering for? It's a place of mourning. They have good movies. They do have good movies. <laughs>
1: One of them is Looney Tunes voice actor, Mal Blanc, whose gravestone reads, that's all folks.
0: Fact. You got it. I think you're understanding how this works. (laughs) (laughs) I think Roshanna caught on. Really (laughs) good.
1: You're really, really good. So you are now
0: three for four. Mm -hmm. It's hard to imagine you'd lose, but there is one more. Are you ready? Yes. Many lesser-known film extras are also buried in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. (laughs) Their graves are unmarked per union rules. But they were buried with a boxed lunch. You know, I was worried that that was niche, but it's not. Fiction. That's fiction. Roshana. you have won Lax Facts. Love it. I came Thank you for you, for...
5: not for the parachute.
0: Thank you. Thank you for playing. I want everybody to give it up for the former mayor of Los Angeles, a great sport, Tonito. <laughs> the Arigosa. The Levitt and Tonito Show. <laughs> when we come back, Vitor Detour.
6: Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way.
0: Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home. On top of the wide variety of houseplants available, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee... They offer free plant consultation forever. Mike Pence should have gotten one of those after Election Day. (laughs) 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 The experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants for all climates, locations, and needs. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, landscape designs, and how best to take care of your plants. The point is, I may not have a green thumb, but that's why Fast Growing Trees is perfect for me, because it makes it so easy. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LOVEIT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LOVEIT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code It. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions apply.
2: The National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. Yeah. 25 Saturday nights, 50 matches, all season long on
4: ION.
5: Alan frontal Williams slips through. Here's a shot, it's in.
2: This is a game changer for sports.
5: Sabina takes a shot herself. Covers at home.
2: Oh, my goodness. See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com.
0: And we're back. We have a fantastic panel for you guys tonight, but before we do, I wanted to, before we bring out the panel, I wanted to spend some, just a few minutes breaking down a crazy week in foreign policy news. When we do that, we now call it a Vitor Detour. Please welcome to the stage, co-founder of Crooked Media, co-host of Pod Save America, host of Pod Save the World, Tommy Vitor. Hi, Tommy. Thanks for coming. That
6: was some... Some big J journalism.
0: Tommy, thank you for being here. I know thank that you. we didn't hug, but we don't hug in real life. Why would we hug on stage? I, w- I had
6: dinner with you across the street.
0: What? You did. Thank you. I don't know why I said thank you. I paid. It's not like I didn't. I paid.
6: <laughs> you put down twenty for an entree and a drink, but yeah.
0: <laughs> I didn't. I. You know what? I didn't use the cash up. I just threw twenty dollars on the table. But I could have, and I would have, and I should have. Tommy, let's get into yep. uh, Donald Trump. Uh, uh, had a nearly two-hour meeting today with Vladimir Putin, mm-hmm. um, the leader of Russia. Many, it was supposed to be a 30-minute meeting. They emerged from that meeting with some sort of an agreement related to Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have we learned today about what went on in that meeting? What happened? What didn't happen?
6: So it was a two-hour and 50-minute meeting. Apparently, they sent in Melania Trump at one
0: point to try to break it up. It's like, she's like, why is this my fucking job? <laughs> You want, you, you want, you. I love it when he's in a long meeting. <laughs> Two hours of Donald Trump in a long meeting is my fucking vacation. <laughs>
6: <laughs> she breaks up marriages, meetings, yeah. Um, so apparently Rex Tillerson came out and said they had great chemistry. They wanted to move forward. Like this was some relationship that had been on a break for six months. Sergey Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, basically said that Donald Trump accepted... Um, uh, Putin's version of events when it comes to interference in our elections uh, that they didn't actually have anything to do with it, despite the consensus opinion of the U.S. intelligence community that, in fact, Russia did hack our election. But the big announcement was a partial ceasefire in Syria, which, you know, is, is as significant as – as as long as it lasts, it's significant. But John Kerry announced several of these. Um, there have been many efforts to, to – have a ceasefire in Syria that have not worked to date. So that was sort of the big deliverable that came out of this thing.
0: So basically there was a there was some progress on Syria, but very clearly Donald Trump ceded the election issue completely. Yeah,
6: they just moved on. They decided that we're looking forward. We have big things to work on. Let's talk about Syria. Let's talk about ISIS. Let's talk about whatever else for two hours and 15 minutes until Melania runs in and says, guys, go home.
0: But presumably, like, that's not Donald Trump running the meeting. That's Rex Tillerson running yeah. the meeting. Like, Donald, Donald Trump can't talk about two hours. Well, has been two hours on any topic. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the one sort of anecdote
6: that came out of it was Putin being like, are these the, these journalists? Are they the ones that annoy you? And, like, it seems like they, they found some common ground here bitching about the media, bitching about their critics.
0: Which is very cool, because Putin does kill journalists. Yes, So he that's does. a <coughs> fun joke, like, ha, ha, ha. They bother me, and I tweet about them. You murder them. So let's joke about it. Yeah, it's fun. It's good. The fuck? Um, so there's also been a lot. Uh, there's been, so this is also, this is the G20, right? Right. Just testing you. In Hamburg. And, Hamburg. Uh, in Hamburg, where the president did not seek hotel rooms in advance. <laughs> yeah. So he's like looking at hotels.com frantically. <laughs> Airbnb. I need a place that can bring me chocolate cake. In the middle of the night. What else have, What else has come out of this foreign trip? There's been a lot of talk about the relationship between Merkel and Trump, Macron and Trump. Mm-hmm. What have we learned? Like, There's been a lot of dumb body language analysis that I'm going to rant about later. Good. But beyond that, Donald Trump spoke in Poland, and I feel like there's been these two interpretations of the speech. One was... This was actually a more traditional kind of presidential speech Mm -hmm. where he talked about the importance of the West, and the other is a darker interpretation, which is that he's ceding ground to Putin, accepting Putin's version of events. What do you think when you see what Trump has been saying?
6: I, I mean, I think the big takeaway for me from the entire meeting is, you know, at the end of, like, a G20, there are these communiques that are filled out, which are essentially, like, joint statements between all the people that are there in an attempt to coordinate the world on name your big issues. And it feels like... For the first time in a very long time, we are completely isolated. We're in a different place on climate change. We're in a different place on trade. We're in a different place on immigration. And the rest of the world is kind of moving on without us. You've got the EU signing unilateral trade deals with Japan. You've got you know, leaders sort of openly scoffing at U.S. leadership, complaining that we left the Paris Agreement. So it just feels like we're being left behind on things that a lot of people really care about. So, so that's depressing.
0: In, in brighter news, North Korea launched an ICBM. <laughs> this is why I do not want to do it with the panel, all right? Tommy can walk us through it. Then we can get rid of him. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> so North Korea uh, sends an ICBM yeah. up into the air. It has right. the ability to reach uh, the United States, at least Alaska. Alaska. Dealing with North Korea has been difficult and sort of a shit sandwich for every president for 30 years, Uh, is Trump basically kind of following the standard U.S. playbook and we're just once again realizing that it's inadequate? I mean, what are we learning about the way Trump is responding to North Korea? What do you take away from it?
6: He's finding – I mean, this is not his fault. North Korea is not his fault. Barack Obama had eight years to deal with the problem. We did not. Uh, Bill Clinton had time to deal with the problem. Uh, George W. Bush. So it's a problem that's existed for a long time, and it's it's been a nuclear program that's been steadily moving forward. Um, I think the North Korean leadership has looked at Libya and, and places uh, and other countries that have given up their nuclear programs and then have been toppled, and they've realized that maybe the way to stay in power is actually to hold on to your program and keep developing it. So they've been developing – they've been enriching nuclear material, making nuclear weapons, trying to shrink down warheads, and then develop a missile that could actually fire and reach the United States. They they got an ICBM, which is a, essentially a, a two-stage rocket that could reach Alaska, um, in some ways that's incredibly destabilizing uh, because you don't want to deal with a, a rogue state that could actually attack us in the homeland. But we have 28,500 U.S. troops in uh, South Korea. So if they wanted to attack U.S. personnel, they could do so. If they wanted to attack the city of Seoul, they could do so. So this is a huge problem. I think what we've learned about Trump is that you know his sort of career, his hallmark of his career is bluster and bullshit and trying to sort of sell uh, uh, a phantom of success – you know, he's been tweeting that China was going to clump, come along with him and help deal with this problem, and it didn't happen. And he gave them, like, three months to, to fix this, and it didn't work. So it's like, uh, you know, this, is, this could have been a foregone conclusion before he ever took office. It, I think Barack Obama, one of the last things he said to him in their, in their Oval Office meeting was how worried he was about this exact threat. But they haven't exactly attacked it with a seriousness of purpose or united the international community to help us.
0: There was a, I'll, I'll leave you with this. There was somebody who noted this on Twitter. I don't know who it was because it's Twitter, who cares? But pointed out that both Rob Kardashian and Donald Trump had <laughs> tweeted the same thing, which is basically, China, I thought I could trust you. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, give it up for Thank Tommy you. Vitor. <laughs> Bye, buddy. Now, let me welcome our panel to the stage at long last. Been, they've been very patient, and I appreciate it. Please welcome comedian, actor, writer, and host of My Sexy Podcast, Sabrina Jalise. <laughs> Sabrina! Oh my God, you're so successful,
3: and I didn't even know it. I didn't know before this podcast how popular it is. Look at this guy.
0: <laughs> she knew what to say. He's an actor, author, creator of the award-winning geek and sundry show, Tabletop, which he also hosts... I'm a huge fan. Will Wheaton. Man's a legend. Will. Thank you for being here. And finally, his new special, Jeff Ross Roasts Cops, comes out in September. He's one of my favorite comedians. It's on Comedy Central that special. Jeff Ross. <laughs> Terrible. Handshake game was horrific. All right, now it's done. Wait, we
7: sit? Yeah, we sit. Ugh. Hey, great job on the set by the way. You really nailed it.
8: You Shout out to the mayor.
7: <laughs> Thank you
0: for all the things you did for Los Angeles. Yeah, too. That was cool. Yeah. Sorry, John. No, it's good. You jumped right in. You roasted me and complimented someone that's not on stage. Thanks a lot. It's like your sweet spot.
7: I was mad because you introduced my year-old special is coming out in September. Oh, shit. I have a new one that comes out in September. Oh, shit. It's about immigration, something So that... I
0: think that you should not be mad at me. You should be mad at your people. You're right. <laughs> but no, but you uh, were telling me about the special... Basically, you
7: described, you described um, the Putin-Trump meeting... With Melania coming in about their chemistry, and, and, the, 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 and then Melania came and interrupt. It was like the sad, frightening thing is you basically described an episode of The Bachelor. Their date went on way longer than anybody thought, and the chemistry was great. And we sent another girl in to interrupt, and they wouldn't even. It didn't even work. And
0: the difference is Trump, is, yeah, <laughs> Trump doesn't give Putin a rose. He just gave him Estonia. <laughs> so that's. Sucks for them. No, but I actually am excited about your special. I wanted to ask you about it. Because you you. just spent some time on the Mexican border doing stand-up and roasting immigrants. Yes. Uh, And, you know, a group that I feel like is finally getting their their just desserts.
7: (laughs) Basically, uh, the mayor of Brownsville, Texas, it's a little border town where it's the Rio Grande Valley. It's separated by a border fence. Matamoros, Mexico is on one side, and it's sister city, Brownsville. And the mayor of Brownsville let me set up a little stage and basically roast migrants as they came
2: over. I feel like Brownsville's a really insensitive, on-the-nose name for a border town filled (laughs) with migrants. I wish I did that joke. That would
7: have been good. But basically, I have a lot of sympathy for, you know... You
3: never touched on Brownsville?
7: I did a lot of Brownsville jokes. (laughs) It's not just a special. It was an experience. Anybody, uh, you know, who cares about a, the immigration experience will get a, a, a lot out of this show. Uh, the, the local constables, we think about border patrol, but the local constables basically patrol some parks around the Rio Grande Valley, and they let me ride along and see and talk to people as they were coming over for real. I spoke to a woman who's nine months pregnant. Basically, her water broke, comes over on a raft. It merely makes you just feel so grateful, and I was born in this country, and I don't have to go through a lot of the daredevil shit that people go through to get here.
0: I wanna ask one more question about this, because do the police officers and the people that you were riding along with, do they have a more nuanced view of this than, than, in, than what you hear in Washington? I mean, these are the people that are on the ground, and I think often they're sort of lumped in with the kind of, oh, they're, they're pro-border, or they're, they're Trump-type people, but what, what was your experience sort of talking to them about what they think about on the border?
7: It's it, it it's a good a good thought because everybody there is of Mexican heritage. Even the cops, even the border patrol, are named Garcia and Hernandez. So they have to often have mixed feelings. They often have relatives on both sides of the border, and this little town, Brownsville, there's a bridge, people walk every day. Uh, from the from the Mexican side, they might work in the hospital, on the American side, just the way, when I was growing up, I lived in New Jersey, and we would go to New York for work and so on, so um, people there, I think, are more informed, even though Texas is a red state, this is a blue state town, it's right on the border, so. They don't want a, a wall, but there are people who think that they need a wall, but still don't want it for the moral, the way it makes them feel in their heart. So yeah. it, it break, it's breaking up a community, basically the valley.
0: Yeah, one of the things that's most interesting is that Republicans along the border are people that also, like Republican members of Congress along the border have opposed the wall as well. So I'm really excited about that special that's coming out in September. Thank you. Okay, let's get into it. What a week. Uh, I want to talk about... Everyone's uh, excited about how shitty the week was? That's the gist of it. That's the gist of it. Now, look, we could talk about tweets, but I just don't want to. So one big thing that happened this week is uh, Walter Schaub... Schub, Who cares? Seems like a good guy. He resigned as director of the Office of Government Ethics. Here's what he said. He said... There isn't much more I could accomplish at the Office of Government Ethics. My work is done. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Finally finished.
2: <laughs> it sure is ethical around here.
3: I, I ran.
2: I ran out of space. The shelves are full. Uh, <laughs> full of ethics. I, I tried to uh, feng shui the ethics, and I just I'm run. There's
0: no complaints, really. He said. OGE's recent experiences have made it clear that the ethics program needs to be strengthened. Uh, in January, before he resigned, he gave a speech saying that the only ethical financial arrangement for Trump would be total liquidation of his vast business and personal holdings. And uh, Reince Priebus that week on George Stephanopoulos said the government ethics ought to be careful because that person is becoming extremely political.
2: Um, there, there was oh, s- oh, oh, oh. Fuck Reince Priebus. <laughs> I don't know much
3: about Ryan's Priebus, but he sounds fucking terrible. And like a Star Wars villain?
7: Do you remember Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in The Big Lebowski? Yes. Kind of like that, but uh, real life. Like take with out cons- all the charm. Yeah. Take out the charm and the fakeness and add like life and death.
0: So look, this guy, this guy resigned, I think, on, in frustration to kind of tell his story. And hopefully we'll be hearing more, more from him. He does plan to work in Washington on these issues. And so hopefully this is not the last we've heard of Mr. Schaub.
7: You think he's going to blow the whistle on stuff or what's going to happen?
0: I think we don't know. I mean, I think he – it seems like he's a reasonable person who has a story to tell. And I think he, whether he blows the whistle or just gets involved in these issues more directly in D.C., I'm not sure we know the answer yet. But to the larger question, you know, this is somebody who basically said, "This is unprecedented." I pointed out, and Reince Priebus calls it political. Uh, a joke that's been made before is pretty, pretty still, still worth mentioning. They made poor Jimmy Carter sell his peanut farm. <laughs> he loved that place.
7: They're, they're, you're going to see certain people start to discredit this guy starting tomorrow.
0: Yeah, so they're going to start saying he's political, that he's partisan, that he was, uh, that that he's
2: anti-Trump, and all the rest. But the, the but they say that about everyone, like every time, it doesn't matter, like someone who was brought into Washington, D.C. by Ronald Reagan and was like carried in on like a Ronald Reagan chariot and <laughs> sat down and was like, and Ronald Reagan was like, and I bless you, and kissed his forehead. If that person steps out of line the way the Republican Party is right now, that person has now become anathema and is an enemy and has to be destroyed. And they say it about everybody and there has to be some point in our national experience where that loses its effectiveness like someone just says I think something's wrong here and the entire Republican establishment attacks that person there has to be a point where that just becomes like Josh Marshall called it bitch slap politics and it's where where and it, and it's, so a, the right wing says to, to a, a democratic politician you have to apologize about a thing and the democratic goes uh, oh no I apologize about the thing and then they go why are you apologizing about a thing and they go I don't know I'm sorry that I apologize well you should apologize more and now you should apologize less and now apologize more and I think after years of that Democrats have been conditioned to just sort of go like oh we shouldn't take a stand for this guy meanwhile Republicans will go to the fucking wall for whoever that asshole was in Kentucky who wouldn't sign marriage certificates I
3: can't wait till politics are a little bit female too yeah
2: yeah not very. I don't know if you've been
0: paying attention, but what women... a boring way to do things. Like,
3: I dick smack you because I can't fuck you. <laughs> 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 Honey, <laughs> do secret grinder. Grinder. Do a secret grinder,
0: and then see where it goes. So one thing that's happened right is you see that there's sort of two responses when it's a policy question they'll go after somebody like the republican head of the cbo but really the issue is not so much going after this ethics guy but desperately trying to make the story go away i mean one thing that we've seen is people like paul ryan and others on the hill basically saying we are not willing to expend any political capital on these ethics issues because we want to pass our agenda. the problem is, at this, person has is he's an ethics watchdog. His job is to point things, point these problems out. Traditionally, there was some kind of cause and effect. The, there'd be a question about ethics. There'd be some kind of accountability on the hill. There'd be some kind of shame or scruples on the part of the administration, and there'd be a correction. But basically, to your point, that the the idea that you ever need to apologize when really. What, what Trump has learned, what Trump people have learned, what Paul Ryan has learned is all you have to do is ignore it. And eventually the, 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 the political coverage will have to move on and we'll move on to the next shiny object.
2: I was talking to Tommy upstairs uh, uh, about like what a giant fan of the pot I am. Like, oh, I saw that Favreau's here and I kind of wanted you to introduce me to him. Um, but <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I was uh, I was talking. Was- <laughs> Wait,
0: well, I'm sorry. We're going to I want to we're going to come right back to you. John, please raise your hand.
2: Where are you? John, uh, Will Wheaton. Hi. Will Wheaton. Huge fan. Sabrina Jolisse. But I was, but but we were... (laughs) Okay.
0: Uh, Emily Favreau, John's wife, will you raise your hand? (laughs) Emily Favreau, baby girl.
3: (laughs) This is the moment I realize I'm gay. (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's I the think, moment I realized you were gay. I'm so happy that we could be here for this. Uh, but we were just talking about about like this, this moment of this moment that happens every day, where you're like, I can't believe this guy is the president. And I said, I just I need things to matter. I need the things that have that are unprecedented that Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan have done to matter, because it really shakes my faith in just the foundation. Of the country, I feel like I don't know the country that I live in.
0: Yeah, I, that's a really good point. That is, I think that's a that's an awesome way to say it. You want things to matter. That's, I think, one of the hardest parts of these first few months because you see this incredibly egregious, despicable behavior, and it feels like there's no consequences. Shouldn't this matter? Shouldn't the fact that he basically bragged about sexual assault shouldn't that have meant it wasn't going to be close? Shouldn't the fact that he is completely un- untethered to reality that he lies, all the various sins that we've litigated many, many times upon this stage, shouldn't these things matter? And I think that there's no choice but just to say, yes, we say it matters, and that's how we
2: have to fight.
0: That's the fight for these and, elections. And we have,
2: we have to find a way, as, as, as Democrats, we have to find a way to get our leaders to communicate the same thing. We have to find a way to take that to voters and we have to find a way to take that from the national level all the way down to the local level and get our like our politicians on our side to grab people's imaginations and grab people's attentions and say like yes these things matter and we will fight to ensure that these things matter because at the moment I'm not get I'm just not getting that
0: yeah yeah
7: to me when people ask me if there's any silver lining I try to think that this is a near-death experience for the democracy. When well, my Uncle Joe had a, had a stroke, yeah. a year later, he was the healthiest guy I ever met. All he thinks about is okay. dieting and exercise. So, you know, we're doing things that we might not know... We, we, we haven't been doing in a long time, which is giving a shit. The problem is... The problem that I see when I go on the road... And you say what matters is different things matter to different people. And a lot of the things that matter to maybe your fans, your constituency, uh, don't matter to a lot of other people. And that's what's scary. You know, Somebody said early on, I heard somebody screaming on TV, why would a working man vote for this guy? What has he ever done for the working man? And all I could think was everybody, I thought he's entertained them for 30 years. Uh, I grew up in New York. i known the guy a long time. He was a lot did you of meet, fun. Did you ever meet him? Yeah, I've worked for him, and I've traveled with him and did gigs for his casinos, and he was a great you, sport. So he was a think? lot of fun.
2: He was charming. What I'm hearing from you is you could get close to him. <laughs> but, okay. but, Jeff, you know, as somebody from New
0: York, you know, I think I think people... From, being from New York, you have a, it was such a strange thing to watch Donald Trump rise this way because he was a fixture... Of New York, like my my family, like his books were on the shelf. You know, the there was there was the art of the deal. There were the books about him. There was Trump. Like he was this larger than life New York figure. And even though he came from money, he sounded like a New York working class guy. And he was charming. And by the way, he's funny. Right. You know, he's a racist and he's a miserable prick and he's in decline. And listen, guys, I don't know if you've listened to the show before. Yeah. Not a fan. <laughs> but but you also. Sorry. You easily could have just been describing Andrew
7: Dice Clay, who sold out Madison Square Garden. It yeah. works. But so Donald like, Trump is probably my third favorite comedian right now.
3: <laughs> Bethany Frankel, number one. <laughs> so, but that's interesting,
7: though, because in somebody to- told me they come home at night and they turn on the Trump highlights.
3: Uh, it's, uh, I know,
7: but we do it too. It's what we were talking about. It's why in the beginning when you were talking to your partner, you guys talked about the um, the ceasefire is a blip in the news cycle when in fact that is so fucking important. Even if it doesn't stick, it's important that those guys did that. We're not reporting that. We, it's, not intru- it's not fun to talk about. It's death. It's really awful. I get that. That's my... You know, if we don't laugh, we cry. We're in a comedy club right now, so it's a little easier. But the fact is we kinda dismiss a lot of what he is trying to do for better or worse. This is what we're stuck with.
0: And if it's only the bad stuff, people will just dig in further and further. Well, I think it's 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 one of the hardest things to really talk about. And it's the hardest thing to address because look, there are real differences between the party and the reason that Democrats are resentful and angry about what Republicans are doing in Washington. is is different than the reason Republicans are angry at Democrats and what they're being told by Fox News. You know, I I do not believe the parties are polarized in equal ways. But at the same time, this tribal dynamic is affecting both sides, and it is part of the reason we ended up with Donald Trump. The fact that there were so many people uh, who were so angry and so unwilling to accept voting for a Democrat that they could pull the lever for Donald Trump or not pull the lever at all, it tells us something I think made is exposed to the point that you made earlier, what made us vulnerable to someone like Donald Trump to begin with. So I think it's a good point.
7: And, and I also think part of it is that he made politics so easy to understand for a whole new group of people that normally didn't care. You know, when I was young, if you talked about politics, you were at a party, you were a snob. You know, now everybody's got a team, a a chant, a T-shirt. They know the mottos. Locker up, build a wall, feel the burn. Everybody knows how to do it. You're buying the hats. It's different. It's like NASCAR. It's like football. Everybody
2: has a team. Yeah, but politics should not be NASCAR. It shouldn't be. It's become that way
7: because the politicians in the Senate, for the last two decades, or at least that I'm old enough to understand, have not done much. All they do is talk about, I reached across the aisle and this and that. And the only thing that ever brings them together is the troops. And that barely does it anymore.
3: <laughs> yeah.
7: Applaud that. Yeah. That would always be the like, thing, USO. You know, you could bond together on the troops. And to a large part, that's still happening. So I feel
3: like both sides are, like, obviously politics is corrupt obviously like there's like an amount of corruption and I think that like we were talking about Portland Will and I backstage and how <laughs> Portland used to be like this haven of like cool white people that were like fun and like Portlandia <laughs> and that it's becoming like racist like there are imperfections on, on both sides you pretend to be so liberal but then it like comes around full circle and you actually just want to be around your tribe and we're tribal and all that off of our Portland discussion. Yes. We were talking about being a vegetarian or not.
2: Okay. Right.
3: Ha- animals are going to die, right? Like as we like pretend to be so careful about like protecting all of our people, animals die. You know, like there is that actuality where if you're on the left and you're like I'm democratic, but like I'm eating like so much lobster at Nobu,
0: You know, there's
3: that reality, like...
0: This is fascinating. (laughs) Thank you. We're at Nobu. (laughs) The the question was about government ethics. (laughs) Honey, you know I don't know about Shaub. Again, I'll remind you that what this will edit together is a speech that culminates in you running to the stage and receiving a round of applause. Say this. Yeah. We need the kind of people who will take this country forward, not backward. And we need people that represent all of us, not just the privileged few. Yeah, but will you guys be like, ugh, I've heard it. No, no, no. Guys, you promise. Promise. She's going to say that. And you're going to applaud. Forward, not backwards, and what? And like all of us, not not just the privileged few. That's good Bernie stuff. People love that. Okay. Do it.
3: We need to take this country forwards, not backwards. We need to do things for not just the privileged few. You can have no boo lobster. Just come to my fundraiser at the Virgil this Friday. Okay, that's it's it. It's benefiting Black Lives Matter. It's Sabrina, a Nasty one. I
2: I think you flew a little close to the sun at the end there. <laughs> You were soaring beautifully, and then just a just a little too high. She hot. I know high. it's hard.
3: High. I don't want to be a politician. Honestly. When we come
2: back,
5: okay, stop.
6: Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up.
5: Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we're back. Now for a segment called OK Stop. Here's how it works. We watch a clip as we watch it. We yell out, okay, stop, to talk about it. It's pretty simple. Uh, This week, we're going to be watching a clip of uh, Trump's voter fraud commission. In November, Trump tweeted that in addition to winning the electoral college, he said he won the popular vote if you deduct the millions of people who voted illegally. Soon after, Trump started the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity. Uh, Last week, its vice chair, Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, asked all 50 states to provide publicly available data from their voter rolls, including names, addresses, dates of birth, party, and the last four digits of their social. (laughs) 44 states refused to comply. (laughs) One of the states that didn't comply with the whole order was... Kansas, it was rejected by Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, (laughs) who legally couldn't comply with some of his own requests. The fact, look, we can get into the numbers, but there's just no evidence of significant in-person voter fraud. This is much more about suppressing the vote, about throwing legitimate voters off the roll, and making it harder for Democrats to win and setting up Donald Trump for re-election, despite the fact that he is the least popular president to ever take office. Uh, So, Let's watch this clip because I think the, it's interesting what happens when Kobach is questioned on the facts of this.
6: What are you trying to get at? You're asking for uh, you're asking for people's ma- names, sure. initials, middle initials, date of birth, whatever. That's normal, right? Then Most you want political give, yeah. party. are name, date of birth. Right. Then you want political party. You want voter history. Uh, and, and information regarding felony convictions and information regarding voter registration in another state, information yeah. regarding military status and overseas
8: citizen information. What are you gonna do with all that information? Okay, well, let me give you an example. Yeah. Um, the Pew... Charitable okay, stop. From- He's gonna tell a lie.
2: <laughs> Let's Look see. how
3: tired he looks from being evil. <laughs> He's exhausted.
8: He does have a Darth Vader without the mask and Jedi look about him.
3: Let me tell you what's up.
8: Trust, one of their trusts has estimated that 1.8 million deceased individuals are on the voter rolls in the country and they think that their estimate is low. Well, we could actually find out what the real number is if we take the voter rolls of the states right. and we match them against the Social Security Administration's death list of people who have died. Mm-hmm. Let's find out what the real number is. And then you, if you have the voter history, you can say, OK, how many of these names on appear math. to have voted? Truly, he's not not list. Right. Exactly. So let's just imagine and that's the actual numbers.
0: Here's the thing. So the, the thing that's interesting about this is the is the switching of the ball. OK, there people die. They end up on voter rolls. So they're going to go through and purge and end up with a ton of false positives. Here's the number. incident rates, this is from the Brennan Center, incident rates of impersonation fraud, that's somebody showing up using somebody else's registration or an old registration or a dead person's registration to vote, is between 0.0003% and 0.0025%. It is more likely for an American to be struck by lightning than to impersonate another voter of the polls. There are occasional incidents of voter fraud, but they are found to be caused by errors or bad matching. So like mistakes are made but there just simply is no evidence for somebody think about how crazy that is
7: can i ask an, a question please so there's no the motive for this for the administration would be what
0: so if they want to suppress so we always the vote. say
7: oh. Did, ha, a is, is there a possibility that this is connected this is possible future evidence to the russian hacking of our election now, are they getting ahead of something You know, we always think, oh, they're being silly. They're, you know, uh, they're not thinking the long term, the Republicans. But... Well, Chris Kobach is the creator. This seems like
0: a lot of work for something that happened a year ago. So so here's what what he did in Kansas. Uh, In Kansas, Chris Kobach tried to purge voter rolls who could not produce documents proving they're U.S. citizen. And even Tea Party-affiliated groups found that purge lists were full of errors with nearly 60% of the people on the list improperly suspended. So what this is about is, look... You have you have people registered to vote. You go through the list. You call people because you claim they're either misregistered, new addresses, wrong, dead, all the rest. You end up with a bunch of false positives. A bunch of people get letters in the mail saying that their voter registration has been suspended. Who's more likely to move? Who's more likely to not get that letter? Who's more likely to be at work? Who's more likely to not have the time to go deal with their voter registration? It's poorer people, people that uh, might be disinclined to vote or might be just less like the kind of person who votes in every election, which are people who tend to be whiter, people who tend to be better off, people who tend to be older, people who tend to vote Republican. So they know that if you go through the voter rolls and you throw off a bunch of people, you're going to get some of your own people in there, but you're going to throw off legitimate voters who are going to find out either when they show up to vote or uh, or uh, are going to find out in the weeks before the election that they've been lost their ability to register, and then you have these voter ID laws uh there's a huge percentage of people that don't have a driver's license. They don't drive. They don't have a state-issued ID. they got to go get one because a lot of these places have installed voter ID laws. I mean, this is something that's been going on. This isn't just a Trump-invented phenomenon. Jeb Bush, when he was the governor of Florida, pu- purged a ton of people under the guise that we're going to remove felons from the voter rolls. But, mis- you know, names, clerical errors, mistakes, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who were citizens of this country with the right to vote only show up at the polls and find out that they're actually not registered anymore. So, it is a plan. It is sinister, but it is fundamentally about depressing the right to vote and making it harder for people that will vote Democrat to show up at the polls.
2: The reason that we can presume bad faith coming from Kobach is that he is behind a a company called Crosscheck, and Crosscheck has been used uh, to kick people off of voter rolls, and one of the primary ways that they do it is they just name match. So... John Smith registered in different places. Different John Smiths all get kicked off the voter rolls because they say that this is someone who's registered to vote in more than one place. This disproportionately affects uh, people who are in communities of color because it's really common, especially in South Asian families, for fathers and sons to have the same name, for people to live in different states and have the same name. And Kovac has used this. They used it successfully in Florida. They used it successfully in North Carolina. They used it successfully in Pennsylvania to push people off the voter rolls who went to vote, places where they had been voting for years. And then were told, no, you can't vote because you're on this list. You're not allowed to be here. And then they, can't, they cannot contest it. They can't fight it. Kobach is completely behind that. And this has been happening since at least 2000... That they have been trying to, and it has been exclusively a Republican, politically driven Republican effort to make it difficult for Democratic voters to cast votes. There is no other interpretation of what he is doing. He is not acting in good faith. All right, let's keep rolling. And except, you, you that's got very it. interesting. And why not find out? Because because you got this wrong.
6: You you actually <laughs> went after a particular voter who you said was dead and voted in an election, and it turned out that the guy was very much alive. And I think Uh-oh, a newspaper found him mowing his life. Right. Right.
8: That, no, that case actually proves the point. That was back uh, six or seven years yeah. ago when I was running for the election. There was a there's a guy's name in the Kansas voter rolls, and the Kansas voter rolls had a mistake listing his date of birth as 1901, but he was still voting in I think 2006 or something like that. So the problem was in the voter rolls. So there are lots of errors in every state's voter rolls. Let's find out how significant those errors are. Let's find out how okay, many. Okay, stop. Peep.
2: He just said there are thousands of errors in the voter rolls. Yeah. Which there are, and by going through voter rolls and just purging them because there are errors, all he is doing is taking away someone's right to vote.
0: Look, I do not think Chris Kobach is on the level. I think that's the
8: bottom line. Are on the rolls? Let's find out how many cases where someone's A deceased individuals actually voted, and let's find out how many aliens are on the voter rolls. California has been uh, accused by many people around the country of of being very lax in allowing non-citizens to register. Well, we can find out. Maybe it'll turn out that there are very few. Maybe it'll turn out that there are very... Okay, stop. (laughs) California.
2: How much fucking bullshit was that? (laughs) What if, what what if we just agreed, (laughs) as a compromise, that he can have his bullshit list, but we have compulsory voting by mail in the United States in every district. Or just, I want, I want, I want
0: universal registration, and I want guaranteed in the Constitution a right to vote. Compulsory, let's, 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 let's not do compulsory. Let's, let's calm down, We're not gonna, it's America. We're not gonna make people vote. They should vote, but it should be like a choice. Let's watch the rest of the clip. Why why is it all
7: voting on your
8: computer like everything else in the world? The Buddhist monks
3: should look over all of the votes. All right, let's
8: finish the clip. Why not look at the data, it's publicly available data, and put the cards on the table and show the American public how significant the issue is.
0: And that's the end of the clip. Uh,
8: Jeff, to your point, I don't want to vote on our computers
0: because that's one more place for Putin to fuck us.
7: Uh, Postmates. (laughs) Uh, something I, I, I voted for the uh, if you're in the uh, t- Writers Guild you can vote for the Writers Guild Awards on your computer but this th- three candidates whatever it is you, they can't figure it
3: out you gotta we need go to there have someone that we and, trust we need trust well that's the problem it yeah. just seems so to trust, me trust like someone that like, we fucking trust like none of this shit ends in anything if we don't have someone we trust and I'm not saying it's the Buddhist people But I am saying that we do need some sort of, like, brain trust that we trust. Like, do you know
0: those people you went to school with that, like, would not steal one thing? You want to put them in charge. The guy that goes back to the bank and says, you gave me an extra 20. Yes. We need James Comey. Yes. And I'll I'll close with this. Once again, every day we're reminded about the need for men we've loved 100% of the time. (laughs) Like James Comey. People who are batting a thousand <laughs> selfless servants who love this country which reminds and me <laughs>
7: you heard the news today about um, Dog the Bounty Hunter what's happening with Dog? new director of the FBI <laughs>
2: honestly, here's the thing
7: honestly, half I of suck. us don't
0: know if that's a joke no. <laughs> when we come back <laughs> the rant wheel
6: <laughs> don't go anywhere this is Love It or Leave It and there's more on the way
5: Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we're back. Very excited about today's rant wheel. We have a lot of great topics. We have Hampton's bipartisanship. We have NASA Pence, we have Podesta Tweet, we have Taylor Swift, Andrew Garfield, Handshake Analysis, The Zynga Party, and Audience Choice. I'm excited about all of these. Let's spin the wheel. All right, I wanna talk about this. This is landed on Handshake Analysis. I have seen for... Look, this started because of Trump. We can start by blaming Trump because he has his crazy handshake. He saw, he saw a magazine at the doctor's office in, like, 1985 that said, like, the handshake is how you demonstrate how kind of a man you are. Everyone, We're all in a wolf pack, some, like, Naomi Wolf... Whatever, that, that woman that followed around Al Gore for a while was talking about the alpha male stuff. Trump absorbed all of it through hypnosis. And, and all he remembers is you grab him by the hand, you jerk him in... That's how you show that you own them. It is so stupid. It is so stupid that that's where we're at that Macron is playing this game, that everyone's like, "Oh, he didn't do his alpha handshake with Putin." Who cares if you the handshake thing is stupid?" And all this analysis, this criminology around the videos. I saw a video, all right, there's a video, and it's Putin talking to Angela Merkel. Did you guys see this today? Yeah. and and there's all these clips about how Angela Merkel rolled her eyes at Putin wow she's such there she is our queen Angela Merkel the woman that voted against gay marriage by the way you don't know what she was rolling her eyes at sometimes you're in conversation with somebody and you roll your eyes to agree you know what I mean someone will be like
2: I'm having such a bad day and you go like ugh I know me too
0: I didn't roll my eyes at you I rolled my eyes at the fucking situation
2: so like maybe Putin was like I have to go have a meeting with Trump and she was like ugh that guy
0: yes Yes, Will. Yes. That's exactly right. Context on an eye roll matters. Is there nothing that is sacred to you people?
3: So you think they they must have cut it together in a way that like they put that at a time that was not it, real. I think
0: I think people are doing like a Zabruder film on Angela Merkel's facial expressions, and I think that it's it's uh, it's uh, it, it lacks rigor. Spin it again.
3: Imagine Angela Merkel at Dinah Shore.
0: I don't know what that means. Some people do. <laughs> Let's spin it again.
2: I have so many thoughts about this. This has
0: landed on Hampton's bipartisanship. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you saw this, I don't know if you guys saw this. So, no. there was a party in the Hamptons. It was reported, I believe, by
2: Politico or The Hill, whatever. And It's really more of a tiger beat on the Potomac story.
0: And basically, there was like a spotted, and it was like this big, beautiful garden party. And who's there? Kellyanne Conway's there. And all these Democrats oh, In the are real there. Hamptons? And Schumer's there. Schumer, who is a friend of the pod. Yay. And a lot... And basically, all these rich Democrats and all these rich Republicans... Dance Kushner and Ivanka are there. Everybody's hanging out like they're friends. And, you know, as somebody noted, like, this is a different time. It is so crazy that some, that Democrats who are fighting these people every day in Washington would go to the Hamptons and act like everything is normal, like this is a normal Republican administration. It is, it's wrong. And it gives credence to the people who say, politics is just a game. These people don't hate each other. They're just friends. And, and I just don't understand how anybody, any Democrat who cares about this country can show up at a party where Kellyanne Conway is kicking off her heels on the dance floor and act like that's acceptable. It's fucking bullshit. That's all. Like... I disagree. Oh, no, I want to hear that. You
3: disagree? I disagree.
7: As a son of a caterer... <laughs> it's like what I was saying before. Look at someone else in the eye and acknowledge them as a human being. They don't have to do... They don't have to be best friends, but I like everybody who likes me on some level. Just a little bit, I want to hear what they have to say. So I'm and, t- and, a, here's it, and, th- and, and having some connections—that's how the world always works. You know, the most open-minded person on one team goes to talk to the open, most open-minded person on the other team, and suddenly those teams make some progress. We—it's like having—it's like—it's like this, John. It's like having a landlord, right? Donald Trump is the landlord, okay? And now, my f- I know, but it's true. And you know what? He, I don't trust him. He doesn't like me. He said some fucked up stuff. But am I going to live with a broken air conditioner and a running faucet, or am I going to try to talk to this guy? He's so going to. Oh, and landlord. P.S.,
2: right now he's also child? trying to make sure that half of your neighbors die. Well, th- So I bet trying to really that. better get to know him.
0: <laughs> well, no, no, but no. Look, here's my here's I. No, I take your point, and and I want to agree. But here's my problem. I want to live in a country where Democrats and Republicans battle it out during the day, and they can get it. It's an old cliche that Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan used to get a drink at the end of the day, and they were adversaries by day, but by night they can get a drink together. And I get that, and I would, and I want that to be the world we can live in. But there's a problem here, which is that there's a certain point at which you can't you can't treat what the way Kelly Ann Conway behaves in a very important job, which is counselor to the President. A job where she has an incredible amount of responsibility and power, which she uses to lie and manipulate and divide this country. You can't go to a party with her and talk to her at a cocktail reception. Like what she does during the day do- doesn't matter. That it doesn't count. That it that it isn't important. That what she does isn't wrong. So I I'm sympathetic to what you're saying. I want that to be true, but I don't. I think at a certain point, don't you have to draw the line? If I learn something
7: about Kellyanne Conway that might help me. Oh, you know what? I didn't realize she has five kids. That's something I can uh, talk about or appeal to or find a vulnerability. You know, yeah, but she's th- being like, like a weird,
3: any, s- like snake oil salesman. This sale is with then. any
7: single person that you meet. You know, she's weird. I she's a weird or- lady. What I'm saying is everything is an inch at a time sometimes, and getting to know somebody or see somebody in their natural life is okay. I like so that. I do like that. are not playing tennis together every day I in do the Hamptons. Like it. It's a random occasion. But it's, you know, some of the best moments I've ever had in my life were you know suddenly bumping into somebody you never thought you would meet or talk to, and sometimes... I've gone out of my way to talk to white supremacists in a jail once because I wanted to know what the fuck was Yeah, up. but you're
0: not getting cocktail weenies with them
7: no, by the bar. But, this, but, a, but But I went out of my way to talk to the people at the Westboro Baptist Church one Christmas morning because I wanted to just find some inch of humanity to help me understand
3: that I situation. want to do so that too. That is, so
7: a cocktail yeah. party in the Hamptons... To okay. me, it's a random one-off. they no, didn't, but if they didn't if start you're... a, uh,
2: they didn't start a band together. They're not in a book club. I, I, oh, uh, so we know. To, uh, to steal a phrase, uh, because as you know, I'm a friend of the pod. Mm. I'm going to push back on that just a little bit. Um, <laughs> Thank please. You. To, uh, we say that from right. from from. Yeah, we're going to get into it. From st- <laughs> from strictly from. From a political point, strictly from an optics point, there is a massive, massive difference between Chuck Schumer, the leader of the Democrats in the Senate, going in a public setting and being photographed and coming across as a member of the aristocracy. Whether it is true or not, the uh, the 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 perception that is so important to politics says it gives all these people who we are. Desperate to get into our party To come and like work with Democrats All they have to do is point to that And Greenwald was all over it Like yes there is an aristocracy in America Yes they don't give a shit about you Yes they are completely different They're the rich Everybody else is the poor To your point of sitting down with the opposition And finding common ground Agree 100% Do it in a private place it makes it so much harder for us to make to make the argument to the voters that yeah. we desperately need to come home to us to get on our side. Jeff, it's I'm not- going to give you the last word,
0: and then i got to wrap I, up. I respect what you're saying
7: about the politics <laughs> of it. It's very complicated, the optics of a rich senator hanging with rich people. But he's also a senator for the people. And to me, you're putting politics. The optics are not more important than the human contact, in my point, in, in my personal opinion. The people aspect is more important than the political aspect. It, it, it's semantics, I know, and a lot of it is you know, the pictures coming out and that kind of thing, but I don't think Chuck Schumer should pretend he's not rich. He's rich. He got
0: invited to something. He, you never know what you're going to learn from the, from the enemy, from the other side. And I, ha- I would love to keep talking about this, because I think it's an interesting conversation, but I have to leave it there. I want to thank this awesome panel. Yeah. Jeff, yeah. Will, yeah. Sabrina, thank you guys for coming out. I nice want to thank Tonito Villarigosa. A great sport and a great guest. I want to thank Tommy Vitor. Subscribe to Pod Save the World. Thanks for coming out, guys. Good night. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Would you take a nap? Would you read a book? Would you show up for a friend? I mean, maybe I'd hang out with a friend. I don't know if I would show up for a friend. Well, Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. Yeah, we do. But at the same time, then you check your screen time on your phone and it's always like Ooh. six hours a day. Mm. I feel like there's a lot of people running around playing busy, you know? Yeah. If you're on your phone for six hours, you could be less busy. You could be less Just put busy. your phone down. I'm a, I'm as guilty as anybody. That's what therapy is for. It help figure out these problems. <laughs> put on your phone for an hour during therapy. Yeah, you can't be on your phone during therapy. They hate it. <laughs> but they can't stop you. It's your hour. Anyway, the point is everybody needs therapy. I need it. John needs it. Anyone else? Anybody else? <laughs> no, that's it. Just that's the, two, it. Of us Just need the it. two of us need it. Just the two of us. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash love it today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot love it.